But without any further delay, uh, so this is episode number 18 of the Manufacturing Hub with Dave Griffith and myself, Vlad. Today, we've got Benson Huglin with us. Uh, we're going to be talking about his career, uh, his path in Opto22. We're going to talk about technology. We're going to talk about the way he approaches strategy. We're going to talk about his house that is fully automated. <laughs> we're going to talk about some of the very interesting devices that Opto22 has to offer. Uh, very surprising to hear about, I guess, like policies and how like everything works and how a company approaches the challenges. So without any further delay, Benson, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? I know that you're fairly known in the space, but uh, could you give us a little intro? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, my name is Benson Hoagland. Uh, work here at Opto 22. We're in Temecula, California. We're about a, uh, an hour north of uh, San Diego. Uh, and in this facility that I'm in, uh, I'm demoing live. Actually, I've got to let me just give you a quick look at what that, uh, what that looks like. I'm broadcasting live from my Opto demo studios here. may look a little small because you guys are just getting a, my uh, main camera view, but uh, that's where I'm sitting. Uh, and the uh, facility is actually uh, looks like this. So there's my aerial shot of uh, Opto 22 headquarters. And like I said, about an hour north San Diego. It's where we design, manufacture, sell, support, everything we do out of this building. So that's, uh, that's where I'm broadcasting live from right now. Um, but I do want to say that uh, first and foremost, thank you guys. Thank you guys for inviting me to uh, participate in this great show. I, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of, of this community building that has been so prevalent over the past you know, several years now. So many people have stepped up and created just these fantastic communities, Industry 4.0 TV, uh, the Industry 4.0 Solutions, the Mastermind Program, you know, kudos to Walker and, and Zach and Kudzai and you guys. Uh, I think this is just so important for our industry. Um, and, and we support it 100%. So uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, hopefully we can talk about some cool stuff. Really appreciate it. Thank you a lot, Benson. Um, let me, I guess, a small side note, a cool fact that I found really interesting about the facility is the fact that Google actually went inside and shot a tour. And so you can go on Google Maps and actually put the little... I don't know if you can show that live, but you can put the little uh, icon inside the facility and kind of have a 3D tour. So there have been pictures taken inside the facility. So if you're curious what that looks like, then um, yeah, you can look at the full virtual tour, which is pretty cool. I haven't, I haven't so, seen anything like that before. And as you know, a lot of companies are extremely proprietary with their process. So it's cool to see that you guys allow that. And yeah, especially now of, with COVID, I, I think it's like ahead of its time in, in a way. It, it's kind of cool because, you know, in COVID, to, to your point, one of the challenges that we had is we loved having visitors here. We loved having people come and, uh, you know, come for training, get a tour of our facility, see how this stuff is made. You know, we've been in business for 47 years. A lot of our products are, you know, we eat our own dog food. Uh, a lot of our products are made with our own products. But in the age of COVID, it was obviously we had to close the doors. And this gave us an opportunity to, you know, do something somewhat familiar uh, to what you see on Google Maps. So I can actually literally walk down the halls. Uh, in fact, uh, right to the left here is our training facility. So there you go. You're getting a, a shot of what it's like to come to training at Opto 22. Uh, our really factory cool. is in here. Our shipping and receiving is in here. 
um, there's a, you know, there's a lot of ways to kind of interact and show people what we're about. Uh, so yeah, thanks for, for pointing that out. That is uh, one of the cool things about technology today. Just another way of, of, of sharing our experiences with others and uh, kind of let them immerse themselves in what we're, what we're trying to do. No, it's definitely unique. I'll give you that. It's really cool. Um, I want to get back to your career at Opto22. So for anyone who types in your name in Google, they're most likely going to find the TEDx talk that you did back in 2014, correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. which was on IIoT. And so you've presented it very well, I find, for those who... I guess at that time it was not as popular and was like fairly unknown to the, I would say people even outside of the industry, right? And so fast forward, I guess from there, it's really difficult to find any of the early career information about you, Benson. Right. So if you're really curious to hear, you know, how did you, well, first of all, get started in engineering, right? Like what drew you to electrical engineering, to software, hardware? And then what did the early days at Opto22 look like? So, yeah, my days uh, working with this technology certainly began before my uh, stint here at Opto. I've been at Opto since 1995. So in the 80s in college, I, uh, I, was, I was just a techie. You know, I was just, as I said in my TED Talk, uh, I'm a geek, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. that's, I think that's just a part, of the, part of my DNA as it is for many of us who are in this field. Uh, and uh, honestly, I was doing a lot of stuff over on the IT side of the world. So, you know, networking and software. And I had uh, started a business, um, Perfect PC, back in the day. Uh, and then I encountered a, a good friend of mine. I met, we met through our wives. We were playing, uh, playing music together. I play harmonica. He played uh, guitar. We'd, you know, do our thing around the campfire. And I asked him, what, you, what do you do? And he says, well, I'm a controls engineer. And I'm like, hmm, okay, that's pretty interesting. Uh, tell me more. And so he kind of showed me what he was doing. And he's basically taking an old IBM industrial PC connected to IO, IO like what I have here on my desk and making things turn on, turn off, you know, getting values, putting them on the screen. We're talking the eighties here. So I was, I was, I was blown away and I inevitably sold my business, uh, got into business with him. Uh, we started doing a lot of uh, engineering, uh, industrial automation applications all over the Rock, Rocky Mountain regions. So oil and gas, mining, food and bev, uh, government facilities. And then speaking of government facilities, I got holed up in, uh, in a proving grounds, a, a popular one or the, the primary one in uh, actually in the state of Utah, uh, you know, making DCSs and VAX computers work with, you know, IO systems that were, uh, you know, doing things I can't discuss. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, on the other side of the uh, of the mountain range over in Wyoming, I spent months, you know, getting rock data, you know, uh, remote operation controllers. Back then, they were Fisher Rocks uh, talking to fix DMAX, uh, an old Inolution product. And uh, that kind of really just got me very involved in all the stuff we were doing. But all the while, we were actually, we started a, um, a distri distribution house for IBM Industrial Computers, Intolution Software, and Opto22. And uh, I just immediately fell in love with uh, Opto's approach to, that, to the technology. You know, what they were doing, how they, you know, the philosophy in building these products, really building fun tools that allowed you to do things way outside the box. And that, that intrigued me that it, uh, to a, a very high degree. And so I, I got an, uh, 
I started working with the Opto products. I got a, a nice invite from our VP of sales, currently still VP of sales here at Opto, Bob Shepard says, hey, you want to come on board Opto? I leapt at the chance. So, and then that was in 1995 and just kind of worked my way up from there. Just curious, what kind of products at the time were, you know, like available or oh, yeah. your curiosity at Opto? Because obviously they didn't have the same lineup, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, it goes way back. I mean, Opto is considered sort of, you know, particularly back then, the leader in PC-based control, taking regular computers and tying them to, you know, to IO systems, you know, kind of like, uh, well, this one's a little bit different, but this, this rack of IO here, um, this one's a special one. I'll get to that later, but connecting to this kind of stuff and, and doing controls with a PC. Uh, but when I came on board, we were, we had a system called the mystic system. And for those of people that are familiar with Opto or been with us for you know, the decades, we've been in business since 1974. The mystic system was really kind of a cool amalgamation of industrial controls with PC based controls. So it ended up becoming really more of a hybrid product. In fact, the microprocessor on that Mystic processor was a 68020, the same processor that was in that, that day's Mac, Mac computer. That's the Apple, yeah, that's the Apple, the Apple computer. Yeah, exactly. And then we went a step further. Each of the remote I.O. modules had an Intel ADC196 processor on it. So the remote I.O. could do PID loop control, could do thermocouple linearization, could do latching and counting. So it really was not a PLC, it wasn't a full DCS, it was a hybrid. And so that was the product that uh, really introduced me to Opto's Mystic M-I-S-T-I-C. I even, you know, I had a boat at the time. I even named my boat Mystic. I was just so, so swooned by the whole thing. But uh, that was the products that, uh, that we launched back then or were selling back then. And today's products, the Groove Epic and Groove Rio, are, are really just th that processor technology, that compute, that networking capability, just now 25, you know, almost 30 years later. So continuous improvement, as they say. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's really interesting, I guess, to hear how the process still for the, I guess, in the grand scheme of things remained the same, right? So we're doing things just faster, more intelligently, we're pulling a lot more data. But at the end of the day, those like core principles, like you're still getting IO from the field, you're still mm -hmm. sending outputs, you're still getting your analog, like that's, that still hasn't changed, you know, at the core, which I find like really interesting. There haven't been that many like new ways of uh, perhaps like extracting or sending those signals. Yeah, you're, you're right on the money. Uh, we still deal with four to 20s, zero to 10s, yep. discretes, you know, whether it's uh, AC loads, DC inputs, photo eyes, you name it. Those are all generally pretty much the same. It's what you do with that data is what's exciting today. Uh, it used to be, you know, you tie that into a PLC, you create your rungs and rails, and essentially that, that process was just all about what was going to happen in the PLC to operate a piece, piece of machinery, you know, better, more, more quickly, uh, more reliably. Um, but then the age came where, hey, this data could be useful to, to, to some other application. And, uh, you know, speaking again to when I came on board Opto in the mid-90s, in 1996, we, uh, we teamed up with uh, three, four other software companies. One of them was Rockwell Software before they were Rockwell Automation. Uh, and the other, of course, was Microsoft. Microsoft wanted to own manufacturing. So we all got together and uh, we created something called Olay for Process Control. You guys know what that's called today? No. OPC. Okay. 
OPC. Right. So OPC was originally Olay for process control. Olay was object linking and embedding. That's okay. It's a story for another time. Um, but the first draft specification of the OPC spec was drafted in this building just down the hall. Uh, and that kind of led that whole effort of how do we start democratizing this data? How do we make it easier to get this 4 to 20, 0 to 10, discrete values, whatever they are, uh, to other applications, to SCADA, to HMI, to a database, whatever. So those were very young. That was mid-90s. And then uh, you know, shortly after that, we did Ethernet I.O. And that was kind of comical to some degree. You know, We spent a lot of time surveying our customers. We we're in the midst of the field bus wars back then. You know, what was a good alternative? And the problem with field bus wars was everybody had their own physical medium, their own yep. copper, their own cable, blue hose, you know, whatever you want to call it. And we thought, well, what if we could standardize the cable and just run software or protocols over a given cable? And of course, you know, everybody that we talked to, Ethan, you know, our customers love the idea, but the vendor community was basically, you know, we don't know what you guys are smoking down there in Southern California, but there is no chance that Ethernet will ever get to the plant floor. So you guys should just give up now. You know, we know how that. What did they out. have? I guess. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Because I guess I wasn't in the industry at that time. So I'm curious. Like, what were the main protocols at that time when you were suggesting Ethernet? Well, Data Highway was obviously one yeah. of the big ones. So uh, Bluehost. Uh, there was uh, um, Profibus networks to some degree back then. Uh, they, they called the, there was a spec and they call it the eight headed monster that was uh, meant to, you know, try to reel in all these different field bus protocols. Um, and there were a lot of them, a lot of them, you know, some Aussie bus was another, uh, even device net. Uh, so there was quite a few of them out there, but as soon as, in fact, when we came out with ethernet IO, Modbus TCP wasn't even available yet. It was just still Modbus serial. And so here's a fun little story. When we started ethernet IO, we had to come up with a protocol to put it on, you know, to put on the wire. And uh, originally we were going to do also a firewire version, firewire IEEE 1394. Oh. And uh, so we ended up not doing the firewire physical medium. We stuck with ethernet, uh, you know, uh, cat five, 802.3 to be uh, more accurate. And uh, <laughs> that said, we adopted the opto M or I should say the MMP, the 1394 protocol, FireWire protocol, we adopted that memory uh, area essentially, and and that became OptoMMP. It was a FireWire protocol, IEEE 1394, and it's the same protocol we use today over TCP. Now there's Modbus TCP. Now there's you know, ControlNet turned into Ethernet IP, and oh, don't get me started when that got named. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's there's a lot of that going on back in that day, but uh, the world's very different now. No, somebody's running one of our demos and just started the turbine behind me. Perfect. No, I, for anybody I, I, who might be watching, this is the the turbine you just started. So, <laughs> for well, so you live, can remote honestly. in and play with the with the hardware. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it looks like uh, I hope I it's come... someone watching the stream. Yeah, it's probably somebody watching the stream. But yeah, it's just uh, you go to demo.groove.com, and uh, we have all of our technologies uh, live right on the uh, right on the public web. Oh, wow. So this one here is the, we got the deep sea challenger. You know, we were talking the other day about some of the crazy applications we've done, like mm -hmm. the Bellagio fountains and yeah. SeaWorld. And we even did one called the deep sea challenger where James Cameron built a vessel to go to the bottom of the world's oceans. Yeah. Turns out he loves diving. 
So he built this vessel and it's all run by Opto. This is the actual HMI that was used in the sub. But I digress. That's really cool. <laughs> we it can is. get back on track, guys. I, you know, I could go on like uh, this for. Uh, well, where's the yeah, demo? I guess. Is, can you show us? Uh, okay, so that's the, the demo. demo screen. Gotcha. Huh. Yep. So somebody came in here and turned on the turbine. So I'll just go ahead and turn it off because it can get a. Oh, they have it run on price. This is great. <laughs> this is a, a controller that you see behind me yeah. that is literally logging in and getting the real time spot price for electricity on the California grid. And based on the price that they're paying, it will run the turbine only when it can, they can make money. Hmm. So it's all, the, that's what started it. Look at this. The huh. price of electricity they're paying for right now is $73 per megawatt. Wow. The set point was $69. So if I change that back up to 99, which is where I usually have it, turbine turns off. Anyway, <laughs> fun stuff. That's really cool. I, I mean, I think like personally, uh, just the accessibility of, um, you know, like hardware and software from vendors is extremely important. I think the younger engineers or the ones that are entering the field now really need to play, you know, with the hardware and software and just making these demos available is extremely critical, right? Because the more difficult it is to purchase a piece of hardware and download documentation, like whatever that may be, the the re less reluctant or the more reluctant they will be to using it. So having something that like that in place, I didn't even know that I could log in and yeah, play with the demo behind you. So I that's, that's really good. Cool. Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty fun. And you know, behind the scenes of this demo is also uh, we we have a, a close partner we work with, software partner, uh, and that's of course inductive mm -hmm. automation in their ignition platform. So everything that I just did there was all done via MQTT. So they, oh, you know, cool. it's, it's, a, it's a way for us to show just how powerful uh, this technology is, yeah. Do you want to talk about um, those technologies? Because I think it's also important to recognize the fact that, you know, similarly to how Opto22 had presented the idea of Ethernet back in the mm -hmm. day, some of these new technologies are still quite early, I feel, in their adoption lifecycle. And so I'm curious to maybe hear you talk about some of the challenges that I would say end users, manufacturers uh, come to you with when it comes mm -hmm. to adopting these new things. Like what kind of uh, maybe things do they say? How do you respond to that? I'm just like interested in hearing your thoughts on that. Yeah, I have, I have many, uh, believe me. Um, the reality is, as a vendor, uh, we're not just about pitching products. I mean, naturally, we need to sell products to keep the lights on. But at the end of the day, it's, it's about understanding what tools we can pull together that help you know, an engineer, a control tech, a software developer achieve a given goal, a business outcome. And uh, you know, back in the days of Ethernet, I told you that nobody was using it on the plant floor. That was true. But more importantly, hardly anybody knew anything about TCP IP because that's where the real magic happens. The, the cap five is just it's copper. Uh, mm -hmm. But what runs on that uh, is TCP IP. And so we had to teach people TCP IP addressing, uh, for example, subnet masking, what a switch is, what a hub was. So it, it, it became very much an educational process. And we're in the midst of that today. We've, we've got a lot of new technologies that, uh, that we're talking about that are being talked about on platforms like yours. Um, and of course, I'm talking about things like, you know, like MQTT, uh, like, like zoning, segmenting networks, cybersecurity. Uh, and these are, these are topics that are, you know, very important from a strictly technology perspective, but how, what kind of problems do they solve and how do you get your head around how it actually works? 
Uh, and so to your point, a lot of our efforts today are spent on that, on, on trying to educate people of why these technologies matter, how they work, and what problems they solve. And of course, you know, we, we wrote the spec for OPC that solved a problem in the mid-90s. The problems today are different. The times, they have changed. Uh, and for that reason, this notion of a pub-sub model for moving data around can become very, very critical, particularly from cybersecurity, performance, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of our focus today is, yes, we can, you know, we've, we've always had an engineering philosophy here at Opta 22 of combining this rugged OT systems, right? You know, the, whether they're IO modules or PLCs, whatever, very rugged, wide temperature range, put them anywhere, they run forever. But how can we combine some IT technologies that adds incredible new value to them from the, you know, from the idea of moving data where it needs to, uh, to go, to providing remote access, uh, to allowing you know, virtually any systems to communicate with each other, which is really kind of you know, what the IoT was all about back in my TED talk. You know, it wasn't necessarily the technology, it was what can it provide? What, how can it make our lives better in the case of IoT? And of course, that was just a discussion. But we're seeing the same thing happening on the plant floor and the use of these technologies. And it's not easy, Vlad. You know, it, the reality is, is some of these concepts are, are very new. Trust me, when we came out with uh, Ethernet, everybody's like, you know what? My RS-45 is just fine. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have a lot of folks that uh, are, are going to stick with RS-45. That's fine. But, you know, there are engineers out there that have ideas and they want to change the world in their, own, in their own way. And we've all been part of that. You know, we have an idea and how can we get it done? It's not a product that's going to necessarily get that done, but the right tools and the tools with the right capabilities. And by stitching your ideas together with the right tools is how you can make something magical happen. And that's what we all live for. Yeah, we get paid. Yeah, we, you know, we are responsible for keeping the machines running or the process going. But there's nothing more gratifying than solving a problem with the right tools and go to, you know, go to bed that night and think, wow, I killed it today. You know, that's, yeah. that's the essence of what we do here uh, is, is we want to live that every day. That's, that's what drives us. And when I get a call from a customer or an integrator and they say, you know, all they have to do is say three words, Benson, it worked. And that's all I need. That's all. That's, that's what I, why I do this. Uh, and that's, that's the best feeling in the world. And if I may add to that thought, right, I, I think like the problems or the solutions to those problems are not always like as obvious as one may think, right? It's not necessarily just, let's say applying data to your process, but it's also on the implementation side because I've mm -hmm. been through that process myself where you have to pull in, you know, instead of back in the day where it's like a hundred tags per machine, now it has become 10,000 tags, right? And so right. the infrastructure changes a lot and you have to look at also not just like the end result, but also what, like how many hours it takes in that case. And also, I think it's also important to talk about, you know, people entering the industry because whether we want it or not, I think there is a shortage of personnel that, uh, that is available to, let's say, program and automate all these systems right now that, that is in growing demand. And I think the pool, as you had mentioned, kind of from the IT side or maybe the more traditional software space is 
much larger, right? So by changing the way we do certain things, we might open up the door to a lot more people, right? And then there's a lot more, I would say, like intangible things that comes with that, right? Like new ideas, new ways of doing things. Like we started adopting things as as straightforward as version control, right? In, in software mm-hmm. that has been there for decades, that is only now trickling in uh, with some proprietary tools, but some companies that are doing it a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it has been a known solution. So we are benefiting from that shift in the industry, I feel. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Two things uh, that that jumped out at me. One is that, you know, largely you know, we're a risk averse industry. No question about this. We do something wrong. Somebody could get hurt. So, you know, we tend to be very risk averse and, and, and use only tools or technologies that we're very, very comfortable with and can be very confident that when we put them in, they'll do the job and be safe and everything else that we're, you know, uh, that we're asked to do. But we, we, we have to con- continuously reinvent ourselves. And so recognizing it is a risk averse industry, a lot of the technologies that we are talking about, MQTT, Ethernet, and so on, they have been around a long time, utilized in other domains. Mm-hmm. But can we benefit from those in the OT domain? And I say, yes, absolutely. We did it with Ethernet. We you know, did it with OPC. We did it with some other technologies. Uh, you know, uh, we were one of the first companies to put full RESTful APIs, for anybody who knows what that is, uh, on our controllers to allow software developers to, to come and get the data when they needed it. So, you know, that's, to me, that's, that's an important thing. And so it, it becomes a question for us as a, as, as a community, as an OT community, what are some of those technologies that I should probably pay attention to, learn a little bit more about that will allow me to broaden my tool set? Because at the end of the day, that's what it is. How can I broaden my tool set? How can I get to know the, you know, how to use that screwdriver a little better or that hammer a little bit better, or maybe a, a version of a, of a hammer, whatever it is. And that's what we're, what we're faced with today. We have some of these technologies that, it, you know, MQTT was invented in 1999 mm-hmm. for a SCADA application. Yet, you know, Facebook ran off with it and Amazon ran off with it. And there's a lot of implementations of MQTT. It's kind of come back now, of course, to the industrial arena. But, you know, th- how can we take those tools, pull, pull them in and give these engineers and developers uh, these capabilities? That said, there will always be a segment of the, of the community, uh, of, of the OT space that is not, just not willing to move on, just like they weren't really, you know, ready to move to a mobile phone. I mean, how many yep. people stayed with, you know, a flip phone instead yep. of going to a smartphone, whatever, you know, it, it takes time. And we understand that, you know, we're not asking anybody to do something uncomfortable. We just want to make them aware. And so most of what we try to do is, is education. Uh, you know, this is why this technology works this way. And this is the problem that it solves. And if applied appropriately, can make a, a you know, a big change in your business. Whether you're an OEM, which is a big part of our customer base, process control, discrete manufacturing, water, wastewater, utility, doesn't matter. I mean, some of our biggest projects have nothing to do with industrial automation. We're on over 10,000 cell towers all over the United States. There's very, very little control there and certainly not real-time control. And how did that happen? uh, funny story. That. So we came out with Ethernet IO. We got this TCP IP stack on a, on a remote IO system. And, you know, there was a, a company that uh, essentially a real estate company that purchased all the cell towers from the likes of Verizon, Singular back then, AT&T and so on. And then would lease the space back to the carriers to hang their antennas. 
What they didn't realize is as soon as they did that, they became responsible for notifying the FAA if a tower light ever went out. There's a lot of red lights that are blinking on the top of towers. That light goes out. You got to file what's called a NOTAM, a notice to airmen. Well, suddenly they had thousands and thousands of these towers that they just owned and are leasing space out, yet they had a SCADA problem. Well, these guys don't know anything about SCADA, but what they did have is something from the IT space called network management tools. Uh, back then it was Computer Associates Unicenter or HP OpenView. These are things that you see in IT and you know, uh, data centers and so on. And the technology, the protocol that was used then was something called SNMP, Simple Network Management Protocol. Well, we had a TCP IP stack on our IO. So we just turned on SNMP. Anytime a light went out, we sent a trap, an SNMP trap back to the NOC, Network Operations Center. And suddenly they could manage their whole fleet of cell towers. But That's my awesome. point is, is it's, you know, we're in a lot of different industries. We do a lot of different things, uh, but they're all enabled by these kinds of technologies. Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I think, um, you know, uh, an important point uh, we talked about yesterday was that I think some of these technologies don't get the right reputation because they're still early on. That being said, they are constantly being worked on, right? And I'm, I'm thinking of Node-RED that you've released very early on. And I think, again, as you mentioned it very well, it is a tool in your tool belt, right? Like you right. may choose not to use it as an earlier version, right? Like when it's still unproven, it maybe like you get your... Um, like a few small applications here and there, you test it out, you learn how to use it. And then once it hits a certain revision that you're more comfortable with, then you'd be able to deploy it at a larger scale, right? So it's not a, mm -hmm. like, it's not that you're suggesting that all of these tools should be implemented and replace Correct. everything that you've got on the manufacturing floor, but it's something that's certainly gaining traction. And the earlier you start gaining experience, because again, there, there is a learning curve for everybody, I feel on every single tool but knowing multiple tools on how to solve certain problems could be very beneficial down the road if or how they, be, depending on how they grow. Mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with that. We saw the same thing in the ethernet. Back then it was mostly hubs. Switches were too expensive or too complicated. Now everybody uses a switch, but yep. at the time it was, it was, you know, you had to learn, you had to be a Cisco certified network administrator. You had to do, you know, those days are long over. I can buy a, a eight port switch on Amazon for eight bucks. You know, so one of the things that we've always recognized is if we adopt the right technologies that have a future uh, and it's clear that it does, then the, a lot of the industry will take care of that for us. Another example is, uh, is TLS security, TLS encryption for making connections to servers. If you go to Google right now and type in any search term, you'll notice there's a little padlock up in your URL. Google does not allow you to connect to their servers without encryption. And guess what? We benefit from that. Everything that's happened in the TLS space or SSL space, if, if applied, will benefit from that. So the Cisco's of the world who come out with better networking technologies, we benefit. For software houses that are, you know, or for the Linux community that's developing new, new ways of moving information around or storing it or, or whatever, at an OS level, we benefit from it. And I think that's the key. Rather than one company having to do everything and do everything really well, let's adopt some of these open source technologies like Node-RED to solve a given problem. You know, Node-RED is the tool I'm using to connect to the Cal ISO 
you know, database to pull back real-time pricing on five-minute interval. Could I have done that with a PLC? Maybe, Maybe. you know, if I was pretty skilled, but let's be honest, you're one of the best PLC programmers out there, but there's a very few of you out there. So there's a lot of people that know things like JavaScript and JSON, the primary technologies of Node-RED. Uh, So, you know, that I think that's the key too, is, you know, a tool like MQTT or Node-RED or whatever has underlying technologies that are very well known, well understood. So when I use, when I authenticate to my Epic or to my Rio here on my desk, I can do that through an LDAP server, a central, centrally managed way of managing accounts on a PLC. So now we're embracing the technology that's well understood uh, and has been in play for, for decades, but now we can start applying those to provide security and account management for a PLC. That's, that's the path we see things going in. Yeah. Uh, Dave, I want to give you view. an opportunity to jump in as well. <laughs> so, so we were just going down this path and, and I, I love the, the last few minutes of conversation, Benson and Vlad, where you guys are talking about how Opto kind of at its core is a, technology company right like you mm-hmm. guys are a bunch of probably nerdy technology <laughs> engineering folks i i mean I, I think it's honest um and and i love the point where you talked about you know looking forward how we can bring seemingly like more consumer more it technologies into what we use in manufacturing i love what you said about education um and, and feel like we would almost be remiss if we didn't talk about all of the educational videos that mm-hmm. opto 22 has put out for at least the last four or five years from about the point in time that you guys got on my radar, generally from the uh, inductive automation community, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there are regularly videos talking about, you know, your technology, talking about MQTT, talking about Node-RED. And I think all of that is important. And kind of, as you mentioned, I think it benefits everyone in the community to have access to what's to more of those. And so I, uh, I want to thank you for that and everything that you're doing. And, um, a few minutes ago, Vlad had brought up something about, you know, how it can be difficult for young people or engineers to purchase, uh, you know, technologies. And, mm-hmm. and th- this, this is going to be the plug to what I believe is that Groove Epic Learning Center, like directly right. behind you uh, <laughs> yeah. w- w- with, that, with that LED. So I remember purchasing one of, the, purchasing one of those with a systems integration company. Yep. Yeah. This- well, you don't, you don't have it in and an led vlad we, we need to uh, we need to fix he was an early LED. adopter <laughs> he was yeah but um but but can you talk a little bit about you know what that is and kind of the goals of that and if there still is training that uh, you know a couple of seats of training that come along with that because i i think that that's a very uh I, I think that that's a very awesome offer that, that you guys have yeah the, so uh, yeah, thanks for that lead-in. Um, the the uh, Epic Learning Center and now the Groove Real Learning Center. My, uh, I'll show you my cooking cam here. Uh, that's a a real learning center with the same kind of acrylic background there, connected to an Allen Bradley PLC, securely zoned, all that stuff we can talk about later. And then yeah, the one behind me, and of course it's uh, sitting here as well, uh, is the Epic Learning Center, a completely packaged, uh, basically completely packaged piece of hardware that uh, allows people to learn how these systems work. Not just from a hardware perspective though. Yeah, you can tie in IO, you got temperature, you got uh, zero to 10 on there, some discretes, but the software, you know, when we talk about the capabilities of these systems, 
you know, they're largely unleashed by software. And, and that's what we, what we have to educate because there's so many options out there. Think of your smartphone, right? You've got a smartphone. It's a single piece of hardware. It's a device. But on it, I can run all kinds of software based on what it is I need to do. Again, tools. So you may use one piece of software or app on your phone, maybe very different than the one I might use. But we still know what software or what app to get to do the job. We've done the same thing with Epic. So one of the other things that we've, uh, what we've done is if I uh, take a look at this screen here, this is our training website. So you asked about training. It's free. You can come in here, you can go into Groove Epic and there's videos on here about configuring Groove Epic, about you know, control programs. And here's another thing for you guys. When you buy a PLC, you're buying the software too. And you have to usually pay for it. <laughs> but that aside, what we try to do with Epic is give you a choice. There's some folks who want to program an IEC 61131, write in ladder, write in structured text, whatever. Or they may choose to use our own flowchart software. The key is choices. The key is the right tool for the job. So we try to cover all that, whether it's ignition software running on there, whether it's Node Red, whether it's Codasys, it doesn't matter. They're all on there. They're like apps on your phone, but they're apps on a PLC, uh, you know, a highly industrialized PLC. Um, and so that's kind of what our training program has been about. Uh, yes, we, we push all these out to uh, YouTube. In fact, if you did a search, I probably should just do it here and see if I'm, it's still the case. But if I type in here, introduction to Node Red, see if I can spell it right. Uh, generally, our, yeah. our uh, videos come up number one. And I don't know, we've got several hundred thousand, 400,000 views on, wow. on this particular uh, video, which is just the fundamentals of, of Node-RED. Same thing with MQTT. So getting back to what we said earlier, education is key. And so we try to pr you know, provide a lot of these different ways of learning about these technologies. But here's a question I get a lot. As control engineers, as system technicians, control techs, even an instrumentation tech, it doesn't matter. What kind of things should I be learning to prepare myself to go for going forward? Digital transformation, IIoT, and so on. I say, look no further than your own home. And by that, I mean, networking is absolutely a key piece of any digital transformation, IOT, even just traditional controls today has a heavy reliance on networking. And guess what? You're, you have a network in your home and you actually have a zoned network in your home. You have your local LAN where all your PCs and all your smart devices and whatnot live on. And then you have a connection to the internet, which is another zone. And you have a firewall and it prevents incoming traffic. And I can have devices communicate on my local LAN, but not expose those to the internet. Yeah. Look no further than your home. Understand IP addressing, how these devices get an IP address, how they get out to the internet, how you provide that security. There's a lot you can learn in your home that will go a long way to preparing you for these technologies that, that we're talking about today and are being implemented at a rapid rate. Absolutely. And I, I think you've mentioned this earlier, but I often recommend the CCNA as a, mm -hmm. I guess, a structured approach. If you really want to buy, you know, a set of books that will walk you through those same topics of, again, like basic networking, a little bit of cybersecurity, routing, how to mm -hmm. set up VLANs, why you even need VLANs, like how traffic is being directed inside of a small network. I think it's a very 
important um, like understanding to have, especially with the with the merging of OT and IT spaces, right? It's absolutely. Uh, it, it's something that I think in the past you could be a controls engineer that purely programs or PLC and HMI that are segmented inside of a machine. But at this point in time, with the amount of data, again, as we had mentioned, it's right. just impossible to do it without networks, right? And controls engineers are often now the ones who not only set up, you know, the basic, let's say, managed switch on the plant floor, but now have to understand the entire infrastructure. So, yeah, I agree. And, you know, the last thing any of us want is to, you know, be prod into the boardroom with IT on one side of the table and we're on the other. And suddenly, you know, the gap widens. And it's largely because we're talking two different vocabularies. Yep. So yep. if we can help ourselves by learning some of these, you know, networking technologies, TCP IP, VLANs, as you said, routing, all of this stuff, we go into those meetings better prepared. And a lot of this isn't just gobbledygook. And then we have to throw up our hands and say, hey, listen, we're in the OT space. You know, we make stuff work. We don't want to get the 3 a.m. call. You know, you can have a collaborative discussion. Right. And yeah. trust me, I, I believe to some degree that the IT space would love to learn more about our OT devices. But right now they're scared to death of them. You know why? When you ask IT for an IP address, guess what you've done? You've shifted the responsibility of securing that device to them. They hate that. Right. <laughs> no of course uh, and i mean like that space there, there's a lot of like different discussions about it that we can dive right. into but i know especially you know the fact that a lot of it is remote right like i, mm -hmm. I think that it has migrated to that dynamic um for the, at least like in the companies that i have seen so it becomes very challenging when you as a controls engineer don't fully understand what needs to be done or how it's being done uh, mm -hmm. You can fall into all kinds of trouble with trying to manage a remote person that's going to implement some of the things that you need for your infrastructure. So, again, I think like having that knowledge, as you said, is going to, I'd say, not only place you above all the other ones that don't have that knowledge in the job market, but also allow you to make the decisions a lot easier at the job mm -hmm. that you have. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree. And, and even those technologies are, you know, let's take an example of the recent cybersecurity incident in Florida at the water plant. And it was finally revealed, how'd they get in? Oh, it was a uh, open password to their VPN. And I'm just cringing because I'm like, why wasn't two-factor authentication turned on for that VPN? It's there. It's, you just got to check a box. You know, and that would have largely prevented that particular incident. In other words, the tools are constantly evolving as well. So it's getting that base fundamental understanding and then being in tune with what's coming out next and how it can be applied to solve these problems. There's no reason why we can't provide secure remote access to devices. The technology exists. It's just getting it implemented properly. So, and a lot of that starts with the fundamentals. You know, you know Benson, that's a, that's a big uh, pushback that I had received from like end users, right? Like when they allow a third party to remote into their plant again, like, cause that's done. I feel like in a very, um, I guess, shady way in, in many aspects, you know, they put their Absolutely. device, they Wi-Fi to the guest network yep. that's open yep. <laughs> and then like anyone can gain access to the plant floor through that open Wi-Fi. So obviously you're going to have problems. Right. But as you said, I think with any technology when applied incorrectly, there's going to be pitfalls. And so that's right. Like it, it's recognizing that, if done right, it can work. And so you shouldn't necessarily shy away from a solution because someone didn't implement it right. 
had a massive outage and is now right. telling the world that hey this doesn't work right yep it's, and we, there's we a lot of fight up against that all the time so yeah and I, my my opinion I've, i said this in, in in other podcasts you know one of the other problems we have particularly on the plant floor is just about every device including every one of those devices behind you are servers servers listen you make a connection to a server request it's Modbus register, it responds back. It's listening and it's listening on a port, port 502, that's not secure. Let's get rid of servers. Let's get client, make everything clients. Now you're not going to rip out stuff and, you know, and, and change everything out because you want to be a client instead of a server, but technologies exist that allow us to front end those existing brownfield devices and very safely and securely protect them. With, with all the security technology we've been talking about, SSL, TLS, what, whatever, um, yeah. uh, network zoning, these products exist. They're ready to roll. So let's protect those assets. Let's prevent people from coming in, except, and let, you know, obviously, unless you're authenticated and that channel is encrypted. Again, two technologies that are readily available. Just got to learn a little bit about them and put them in. Yeah. We, we did a... Uh, we did a techno white paper on cybersecurity plans. It's basically a guide for cybersecurity. Yeah, it's, it uses our products to tell the story, but the information in the cyber, uh, cybersecurity plan, cybersecurity guide is useful for anyone. Network zoning, use of accounts, strong passwords, even simple stuff like that. Uh, it's all in that guide. We just need to elevate the game relative to this this topic and for companies that are putting in iiot digital transformation call it what you want this is the opportunity to address cybersecurity. yes this is our time we have to pay attention to it because what's happening out there jbs colonial akla mm -hmm. all that it's just going to get worse right i, I agree so now's the time and you're going to have a longer cybersecurity webinar, right? I believe it's either next week or the week after. Do you want to? Yeah, next Wednesday, we're going to team up with Cirrus Link Solutions. I just did one last week with, uh, with Ignition, uh, with Inductive Automation. Uh, we talked a little about the Rio here next to me and how I'm zoning this Allen Bradley PLC, unsecure PLC, but still getting all of its data out, still allowing remote access to this device uh, with, you know, a $700 little Rio. So, you know, Yes, there's that webinar, the one I just did, and then I'm I'm doing one with uh, CSIA uh, coming up in the first week or second week of July. I probably should know um, where we're going to talk about this topic again. Two things, the two key things about IoT uh, or whatever you want to call it: data democratization and cybersecurity, and they go hand in hand. Uh, and that's that's largely what I'll be talking about this summer on any venue that'll have me. <laughs> Good. We got a comment from Hank. He said that I found out more often lately, IT has been involved in implementing networks for processes. And I mean, like I said, I, I think that's definitely the case. There's a, my opinion only, there's a cost associated with running IT or OT, um, I guess, infrastructure personnel. And so probably implementing it from the IT side is usually more cost effective just because of, uh, again, the widespread, I, I feel, of technology. But again, I feel that they need to have a good understanding of the, the projects, the OT side, in order to implement it correctly. Otherwise, you have to still redo it in the field. That's just uh, right. you know, what I've seen. And it has it, to be, a, these technologies have to be applicable to Brownfield. It just has to. Nobody's going to rip out this stuff and 
put something in just to address cybersecurity or IoT for that matter. Uh, absolutely. And I would say that on the IT side, it's important to have good IT partners. It's important to have IT and OT on the same page. I, I've had, Without you know, I, I, one of the one of the best implementations I've done they had a VP of IT. His name was Ralph. He was absolutely fantastic. He looked at the stuff. He's like, guys, I'm going to trust you to do the OT stuff. You tell us where we need to, you know, drop cat five, cat six wires. We'll get it done. You guys plug it up and, and you, you each kind of own one side. He's like, I know enough about it to know that I don't want it to be my responsibility. I will get you connected where you need to get connected and get servers spun up where we need to get servers spun up. But the rest of it is yours. And right. that was one of the best partnerships we've had many times, you know, in, in large companies and small companies, you have the IT or the person in charge of IT and the the people who actually run IT may be like a third party vendor that you don't realize for the first six months of why you're having this frustration and you can't just get two VMs spun up that, mm -hmm. um, that, that you, you need to have a good partner and it needs to be a conversation that I have found you have to have early and you have to have buy-in from the, the plant manager or from the CEO down. And if you don't, you're just going to get into this fight of, oh, now it's my responsibility. And why do I have to do this? Shouldn't it be your job? And no, I don't think we should open it to the internet. And I think the thing should be air gapped, even though we know 95% of facilities that think they're air gapped absolutely are not are air gapped. Not. <laughs> no, no, not, not at all. I think I found one that was actually air gapped. And it's, I, I, we, we confirmed because there was no way to upgrade the control system other than someone running out to Best Buy to buy a larger flash drive because right. we literally had to download it from the internet and plug it into another machine. Um, but no, it, uh, th th there are, as you were saying, Benson, a lot of facilities, a lot of companies that need to look at cybersecurity as part of their overall objective. You know, right. the benefit of doing these things is you can get the world-class experts at their normal rate sitting in their house, you know, remoting, remoting into a country in South America or a country in Europe or over to Australia from wherever they live. And you don't have to pay to put them on an airplane. Um, right. And it's five days worth of travel to get there for what might amount to 20 minutes worth of work. So <laughs> I, I think all of the all of those are important. And you getting on the uh, the proverbial soapbox to talk about the importance of it to the rest of the community will we'll, we'll hopefully only continue to make uh, these conversations that we have in the field even easier. And remember that cybersecurity is not a product. And we mm -hmm. get that a lot too. Oh, yes. I can check a box. No, it's not a product. It's a process. Yes. It is a process, a continuous process, I might add. Absolutely. So, and we just have to be vigilant and uh, stick with it and learn every day. Absolutely. I, I actually have, I've got, go ahead, uh, or I'm sorry, did, did, did we have a question come in? Because I got a couple more questions for Benson. But, well, we we but did please. have a question. I'll throw it in and maybe we can uh, leave it for a bit later now. So Frank asks, any discussion of blockchain for data verification and record integrity? And I guess like my thought on that also, Benson, what are your thoughts on blockchain in the industrial <laughs> space? Like more umbrella I guess, discussion. And we, we don't have, I mean, like that could be probably its own episode, um, but it probably could. What your thoughts. Yeah. Well, let's remember that doing the hash is, uh, is CPU intensive. So, um, you know, making sure that we can hash these messages, put them in the blockchain, add them to the ledger uh, is, is uh, an important technology, I believe. Uh, will it make it to the plant floor? I think there's a potential for that. We actually have a partner 
um, is listed on our website. Um, one of the Opto 22 partners uh, that's IoT certified that has done this. Uh, we offer the shell access on both our Rios and our Epics. So they've actually written their own blockchain, um, essentially application uh, that runs on the Epic and sends all of its data with a ledger. So uh, we think it's it's a nascent field, no question about that, uh, but it has promise uh, and it could, uh, you know, could be very exciting moving ahead. Um, so there you go. I think there's, there's potential, uh, whether it be mainstream. I mean, I don't think, so. I don't think it will be in, in the short term, you know, in the next year or two, but I love the, the work these guys are doing. They're thinking outside the box, but the only way they can think outside the box is that they're the right tools, right? Can you so, show the, uh, the partner just so in case people want to take a look at what they've done? I don't know yeah. I'm I wish Arun was here. He's my uh, right-hand man on this, uh, these kinds of things. But yeah, I'll just go to my Opto Partner uh, website here. And uh, let's, I think they're a recent partner. And I think we just did a, uh, uh, let's see, let's go to community, Opto Partners. Uh, oh, these are all my partners. So are all our partners. So let's go to the Opto blog, because I think we just recently did a, a piece on them. Oh, uh, yeah. It was Novatech. There's the, uh, the webinar. Oh, I'm going to. I'm like, oh, Raspberry Pis. I can't wait to talk about that if we can. But uh, oh, I'm yeah. not finding it here, but I'll find it and we can uh, pl- uh, drop it in the links or something like that uh, coming okay. up. Because I mean, I, I think it's an yeah, interesting so I, piece of technology. Sorry, Dave. Go, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say, uh, if there is interest, I know at least two other groups working on blockchain or working on blockchain specifically for this industry. And if there's there's some interest, I bet we could get uh, some of those folks on to talk about what they're doing in industry, either actual implementations that they've done or paths that they are taking and kind of looking for partners. Um, so if there's interest from the community, we can absolutely put uh, put put a, you know, at least a three or four uh, episode series together. I mean, I'd and be I'll curious just to hear from them, right? Like mm-hmm. what exactly are they doing? Because again, as Benson has said several times now, it's the right tool for the job, right? So it might not apply I think to your IO level data, but something that needs to be, again, like I've worked in FDA regulated environments. Mm -hmm. So maybe something like that where it's compliance based and that needs to be stored Mm -hmm. on the blockchain to be retrieved again, five Mm -hmm. years down the road. I think that's very interesting. Right. Uh, But again, I'm not sure like what the costs would be because again, there's obviously some fees associated with the, at least the current tokens, but if they implement their own blockchain, it might be, might be Mm -hmm. interesting as well. Right. I was, Listen, I, wanna, I, I was want talking to, go back. to a provider. Go, I'm go sorry. Ahead, no, no, no. Uh, if we continue down this, we're going to derail us and Benson is going to be late for dinner on the, uh, on, on the West <laughs> yeah. Coast. So yeah, why, why, why don't we put a pin? Uh, oh, trust me, we, we could absolutely go for another 12 hours or until uh, the, the power dies. Um, but, um, but, but no, why, why don't we continue on and we can, uh, we can circle back offline and I'll, I'll tell you guys what, uh, uh, what I'm thinking and who I know who's, uh, who's working on that. Okay. Okay. I wanted to, um, I guess I like go back to the relays at up to 22 solid mm-hmm. state relays. Mm-hmm. So you told us yesterday, so they are guaranteed for life. And I don't think, I guess I haven't done like that much in depth research, but I don't think anybody else can guarantee an electrical piece of hardware for life. That is like replaced. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Can you like elaborate a little more on that? 
Yeah, you know, there's a couple of things. I'll I'll go to my uh, my uh, cooking cam here. This is uh, these are one of the relays that uh, we've been making since the early '80s. And uh, that little relay, uh, well, that's a dry contact. So that's a bad example because dry contacts are mechanical relays. Mm -hmm. But uh, a lot of them say 200% uh, tested right on the uh, relay. And that means that when we put this uh, product together, uh, before it's potted and filled, as you can see here and put in the case, when we build it, we test it at full load, uh, at, at uh, full temperature range. Then once it passes that test, uh, and not statistically tested, but everyone every module tested then Amazing. once it passes test we go in and we pot it we stamp it uh and we put it on the shelf so at that point we know it works uh and what's the point uh, of lean six sigma that's you, you've taken away the the fun of hey, like testing six out of a thousand relays and right right and yeah any mba will come in here and tell you that we're doing it all wrong but yet we're shipping product <laughs> during COVID. Uh, you know, so, you know, we can ship from stock because we don't necessarily run as a, uh, anyway, I don't want to digress too much. <laughs> the long story short is we did an analysis. These never fail. And so we made them guaranteed for life. It costs us really nothing. Uh, and this module, which was probably, I don't know what the date code is on this thing. Um, two, 2005, actually, that's kind of a new module. Um, if it ever fails, send it back. We're going to give you another one. This uh, applies to all solid state relays. Anything is mechanical. Obviously, those have finite lives. Uh, CPUs, processor, things like that. Even the Rio has mechanical relays, so we can't do lifetime on the Rio. But we have terrific warranties uh, uh, on those kinds of products as well. So, yeah, we stand by our, our reliability. It's all made here. And you made test the, the, the Rios and I guess your PLCs as well, right? To the full extent of the temperatures. I think like that's like 200%. Cool emphasis. Two hundred percent tested, and uh, in yeah, we put uh, our Rios. So this guy right here will stick in the oven minus twenty to seventy, run it through his full battery of tests, every single one of them, and then we put it on the shelf. So yeah, we we get no DOAs uh, when they when it shows up uh, at our customer or our integrator, uh, and they power it up, it's going to run. So yeah, that's that's and amazing. Quality is important. Yeah. Having worked with, you know, many other manufacturers, I can tell you that that's not always the case with, uh, you know, receiving a box at the, at the site and then having to ship it back and receive a replacement. So, right. It's, yeah. Nothing more frustrating than that. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah. you know, it's one of those things that needs to be done yesterday and you receive the parts with a, a slight delay and then the part doesn't work. It's definitely a, a welcome quality control check if every yeah. module is tested. And we still make all those modules. You know, the, the original 22 relays, now you know where the name Opto 22 came from. Mm. Uh, the original okay. 22 relays we still sell today. Uh, those are solid state uh, and guaranteed for life. And these relays were made in the, uh, in the 80s and 90s. But you know what's connected to it? A Raspberry Pi. Yeah. <laughs> so we actually made a little board that connects to a Raspberry Pi to the GPIO pins on the Pi, allowing you to switch up to three amp loads since digital signal, you know, this is mostly discrete. This is all discrete. Um, but those are the kind of cool things that, you know, some of the folks that we work with, they do a lot of proof of concepts and they'll use a Raspberry Pi. In fact, when we built Epic in Rio, we were toying around on, on Raspberry Pis or Arduinos or whatever. And that, you know, was kind of the genesis for us building these products on a full Linux platform 
uh, with you know all real-time extensions, industrial um, you know industrial SSDs, fail-safe file systems, all that kind of stuff. So it's fun. <laughs> no, absolutely, and so, I think so there's. Ben, uh, go ahead, Dave. Go. Oh, I'm I'm sorry, Benson. So that that board with the Raspberry Pi is that something that you guys sell? Yeah. Okay. Can, that, can you uh, send me? Can, can yeah, you send sure. me the link after? Because that, that actually solves a problem that I was talking about just this morning. Um, and uh, yes, I, I, I need to know what that solution is because it solves a problem that I was discussing, um, I don't know, six hours ago. Yeah, for sure. You can get Thank on you. It. Yep. No, no, that's amazing. So uh, you had talked a little bit about continuing to manufacture. And I know we had talked yesterday about how you guys have a multi hundred thousand square foot facility. And if people go and look at the uh, at the Google Maps uh, view inside the facility, they can walk around the manufacturing floor. Can you talk a little bit about um, how you guys maybe not being necessarily as lean as most MBAs uh, would suggest has allowed you to continue to manufacture and continue to ship at least most of your products uh, during COVID? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we do, we do, uh, we do things differently. Uh, it's proven to be effective for 47 years. And so we'll continue to do it that way. But in short, you know, we keep a, we, we make about over 750 products um, and we keep a month of raw materials uh, in stock and then a month in process and then a month on the shelf. And then of course our global distribution network has inventory as well. Uh, and so the idea is if, you know, we can usually, uh, handle any kind of supply chain disruptions as they might occur, whether it was, you know, the chip crisis that we had in the late 90s or, you know, whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, we find ourselves a little bit in that right now. But yet uh, we're able to continue these flagship products. We're, we're able to ship usually within two weeks. Um, and because uh, we have a lot of stock on hand, we have a lot in process. And that's been really important to our customers uh, where they're facing lead times four, 10, sometimes 16 and 20 weeks before they can get their gear, before they can realize their idea. Uh, and that's, that's just, that's, that's a real drag. So that's been important for us, but COVID has taught us a lot of things, uh, allowed us to re reevaluate, uh, you know, for, for example, for, for me, I've got all this gear here. So this, this gear that's behind me, I've got Allen Bradley and Siemens PLCs and Epics and HDMI monitors and yada, yada, yada. And I, uh, you know, I would pack all that up into Pelican cases and hit the road for two, three weeks a month and talk to an audience and say, Hey, check out this technology. Isn't it cool? And it solves these problems. Well, I couldn't do that <laughs> during mm -hmm. COVID. Uh, and so my COVID project was what you see here. Um, and it was an opportunity. Uh, and funny thing is I got all this from gamers, guys who play video games on YouTube. I was like, what tools are they using? It's all about the tools, right? It is and I uh, started to learn. And, uh, you know, I, I built the studio, uh, built the PC, uh, started using open source tools like OBS, uh, open broadcasting software, uh, a bunch of, you know, different cameras uh, plugged in all USB. Uh, happy to share my gear list with anybody. And uh, it has it, afforded me an opportunity uh, to share what we know and, and to educate uh, folks on these technologies and the problems they solve. Uh, and it's, it's, been, it's been great. I get, I get great feedback and I appreciate that. Um, but now that it's all kind of set in, it's, it's pretty easy to do what, uh, you know, do what I do. Uh, but you know, it, I can't say that I would have gone through that exercise hadn't it been uh, us going through the pandemic, so. 
right. long answer to a kind of quick question, but there you have it. Benson, I think we're a little over the hour at this point. I still have, um, I'd want to see the dashboard about the house a little more in depth. If you can talk through. Yeah, sure. That. I can, I can close out uh, with that. I'm going to go over here to, um, to my desktop. And uh, yeah, indeed, I have a Groove Epic at, uh, at my home. Uh, and this is the, uh, our Groove View HMI, which is included with the, uh, the Epic uh, is used. I'm literally talking to securely a, a, an Epic that is uh, accessible from the internet. Obviously this is in my home. I'm using standard IP cameras from Amazon. I think these things are like $91. They're 4K, mm -hmm. they're PoE, like our Rio here. So they're power over ethernet. Uh, I've got you know, a number of security cameras throughout uh, the exterior of the, of the house, but it just allows me to kind of go through and uh, change my irrigation. All my uh, sprinklers uh, operate from here. But here's what's important. I'm using Node-RED to reach out to a website that looks at a bunch of different factors relative to humidity and wind and temperature. And it gives me a number of how what's called the, the B water wise weather factor. Right now it's hot in <laughs> Southern California. So it's at hundred percent, but in the winter time, that's 50%. So all my sprinkler times automatically adjust and I put a lot less water. I only put the water on that I need to, but the really exciting you programmed thing- programmed all this up yourself? Like yeah, oh yeah, this, this, is, this is easy. <laughs> this is my energy. I can see in cost per dollars per hour, what it costs to run my house right now the real-time cost, the power factor, all my trends, what my utility meter's at. I can come in and see power last day, power last week, one-minute power. I love using the one-minute power so when the boys leave the Xbox on or <laughs> leave the light on in their room, I can say, see, now turn the light off and ah. it drops off. I mean, it's, it's just data, right? So uh, that's another example. And then I have a lot of details about each of the phases. You know, it's, it's a, a single-phase home, but it's, uh, I'm pulling both the phase A and phase B off of my CTs. Uh, yeah, it's all in there, even my landscape lighting. So all the lights around the house are, uh, are all managed here. They come on at sunset, they turn off at 1030. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's anyway. a lot more detailed than a lot of the Fortune 500 companies that I've been to. So I can <laughs> certainly appreciate this dashboard. It's really cool. Well, the cool thing too is, uh, and this is what really drove the uh, the innovation behind Groove, uh, Groove View in particular, is all of that is also run directly and securely uh, from my phone. I'll get a shot there. So yep. everything is is mobile ready, and I think that's a key thing. This is a powerful computer that we all have in our pockets, has terrific software of all kinds, and now I can manage my systems from my phone. So yep. that's. Kind of powerful. I think the industry is slowly going there, but I think it's going to take a couple of years before they realize again, like how powerful of a tool it is. And I think me yeah. and Dave spoke about the fact that, you know, iPads are slowly making it yeah. to the manufacturing floor. Some companies have adopted them quite well, but they're still, I think at the end of the day, it's just an HMI for them, right? Like they're not fully utilizing what it could be used for. So it's uh, it's an interesting, like, and I, I think use it, one at my house. Yeah. yeah, it's hanging on my wall and it says everything I just showed you right on the wall. Yeah, when you said early to market, this was our first Groove box. Well, actually, not our first one. We had one other one before this, but that was HTML5, CSS, J, you know, all, all the technologies for mobile in 2013. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we were a little early. But, a little uh, early, just a couple of years. Is, 
but hey, we're it's a pretty uh, you know accomplished product now. But no, no, that that is amazing. Um, we we are completely over time again. I know Vlad and I probably have at least twenty more hours of questions that we'd like to throw at you, Benson. But um, to to be considerate, at least mildly, to everyone's time when we ask them for an hour and take nearly an hour and a half um, every time, <laughs> we do have a couple of questions that that we'd like to ask you that we kind of ask everyone. Um, okay specifically uh is there is there a book that you would recommend we have lots of people not just vlad who purchases every book that is recommended on the show and reads it over the course of the next week but is is there a book or a couple of books um either manufacturing or otherwise that you would suggest uh people take a look at yeah i i I have a a couple of books that i've uh read recently or over the past couple of years the one that i always go back to is simon sinek start with why um, I think he has a number of different books and oddly enough that got started with his TEDx talk. Like, uh, you know, like I did one, he did one on this notion of start with why, uh, it's a great book. Uh, it really helps you identify why you're doing things, not how or what, but what really drives you. The second one I just, I just finished, uh, earlier this year is one called atomic habits. Atomic habits is by James clear, a uh, terrific book about how small changes can make a big impact and, you know, don't swallow the whale, right? So, you know, just little measurable changes can make a big impact. And I think that does apply to automation and then squarely in the automation space, the book I'm reading now, it's a little bit of a bore, I'm not going to lie, but it's uh, industrial network security. Uh, and of course that's, uh, I got that on Amazon as well. It's a little more expensive because it's a book for, you know, industry, but it's securing cr- critical uh, infrastructure. Um, you know, it's like I said What's before, the name, sorry? The second it's one? called uh, industrial network security by Eric Knapp. Uh, it's in the second edition now. And, uh, it's a, it's, it's really a good book. Like I said, a little pricey, but, uh, Hey, it's something we have to pay attention to. So, uh, and it covers things like the ISA oh. 62443 specification, uh, the ISA model and, uh, IS, ISA IEC it's both. Um, so that's, there's your book, uh, <laughs> book suggestions. Thank no, you, Benson. Really appreciate stuff. it. Yep. Hey, I'm oh, we, happy we have, to be we've here. We've got thrilled. one last question. Oh, okay. Sure. Let it rip. No, no. One last question. If it's not readily apparent for people who have listened to this, and if you don't have a thousand emails in your inbox already from uh, from people <laughs> wanting to uh, to know more about uh, what you and Opto Twenty Two are doing, uh, you know who should reach out to you? Yeah, like, like what is your ideal customer? Who should reach out to you? Uh, what sort of problems do you like helping people solve, other than the strange, obscure ones that they thank you for at the end? <laughs> well, you know, clearly we're in the industrial automation space. You know, of, of all the different verticals. Uh, we're not specific to water, wastewater, or, or, you know, discrete manufacturing. We cover the gamut. And, uh, you know, generally it's uh, engineers, it's software developers. Uh, it is IT. We have a lot of uh, folks that come to us from the IT space that are looking to pull uh, real operational data in one way or another, maybe not tied to a manufacturing process, but, you know, it could be the temperature in a building. We do data centers, we do government buildings, we do all kinds of things. Uh, so generally, it's it's people in that domain, uh, and the best way to get a hold of us is is absolutely through you know obviously our website. We have a live chat. Another thing we did for COVID, we put a live chat on our website manned by our uh, application engineers. So when you drop a chat in a line, you're not talking to a bot. 
you're talking to a, a real engineer who can help and, and loves to help, I should add. Uh, talk about your application. You don't even have to buy anything from us. Just ask us some questions and, hey, how would I do this or how would I do that? Uh, we love having those conversations uh, and understanding what kind of problems people are trying to solve uh, and develop, uh, you know, develop the products that help do that. So um, uh, somebody calling to see if I need my auto warranty uh, upgraded. Uh, anyway, uh, that's, uh, that's generally the, I recommend people going to our training website for sure. Uh, learn a little bit more about, uh, you know, some of the problems we're solving with our products there. So, or get a hold of me. <laughs> Happy to take your call. Like I said, Thanks again, Benson, thank really so appreciate much. it. Thank you for coming uh, and speaking with us today. It was my pleasure guys. And, and I, I love following your work and we'll continue to follow it. I, I, again, I said it earlier, I'll say it again keep up the great work and build this community and allow this sharing of ideas. Uh, it, it makes us all stronger. Thank you. Also, everyone Absolutely. who's watching, we've Thanks. got a few comments. Um, really appreciate it. Any last uh, closing thoughts, Dave? No, I think that we we've taken more than enough of Benson's time. I think we all have like a thousand hours of home automation to do um, now that Benson <laughs> has showed us what, what, what he's got running. But no, thank you, Benson, for, uh, for this. Thank you, everyone, for watching. Uh, we will catch everyone uh, next Wednesday at the same time. Thank Sounds you, everyone. Good. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Okay, thank Bye. you. Yep, bye-bye.